This is the MTA Podcast, episode 417. Thanks to Ola Dance Open Earbuds. They have 360-degree superior sound, but they never enter the ear, so there's no ear fatigue. Plus, you never lose track of what's happening around you. Visit oladance.com and use the promo code MTA20 to save 20%. Thanks to the Richmond Marathon in Richmond, Virginia. Come out and meet us at America's Friendliest Marathon on Saturday, November 11th. They offer a full, a half, and an 8K Something for everybody. Go to richmondmarathon.org, richmondmarathon.org. Thanks to UCAN for sponsoring this episode. UCAN is offering the MTA community an exclusive chance to try six edge gels for free. All you pay for is the cost of shipping. Head over to ucan.co forward slash MTA to claim this exclusive offer. That's ucan.co forward slash MTA. Welcome to the MTA Podcast, where we inspire and empower you to go the distance. In this episode, we answer questions sent in by listeners to this podcast, questions about running shoes and gear. We are joined by Fred Jocelyn, winner of the Steamtown Marathon and owner of two specialty running stores in our area. And don't forget, as an Academy member, you can get access to all of our guest interviews, back podcast episodes, race recaps, as well as courses, training plans, and more. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right. Well, this episode's a little bit late in coming. We just got back from a two-week vacation with our kids in Costa Rica. Had a lovely time. This is the third time, in fact, that we've been. We love to go to this beach town in the Guanacosta region on the Pacific side, a place called Tamarindo. And then there's this volcano area called La Fortuna, and there's lots of hot springs. So we were in both of those places, saw a lot of amazing nature, and just overall relaxed. All right, so recently the Western States 100-mile endurance run just wrapped up. It was the 50th year of this race. It's like the Super Bowl of ultra marathons over here in the U.S. And this year the course included 10 miles of snow and had a really competitive field. Tom Evans from the U.K. won the men's race in 14 hours, 40 minutes, and 22 seconds, which was the fourth fastest time ever. And the big news was Courtney DeWalter beat the previous course record by an hour and 20 minutes. The previous record was set back in 2012, so it had stood for a while. She placed sixth overall and finished in 15 hours, 29 minutes, and 34 seconds. Yeah, she's just an amazing athlete. She has won so many of these huge ultra marathon events like the UTMB. If she goes to a race, it's almost guaranteed she's going to win. Well, you know, she's going to bring the competition for sure. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to go deep into the pain cave and still be smiling while she does it. (laughs) And we did have her on the podcast to talk about the pain cave, in fact, um, how she copes with those low moments in races. You can find the episode in the Academy Podcast Vault. We need to have her back on the show. Yeah, that would be awesome. And then another special thing is, of course, Western States has a 30-hour cutoff time, and so they kind of call that final hour the golden hour. The final finisher this year was Jennifer St. Amand from Minnesota. She came in with 21 seconds to spare. So it's always really inspiring to see how relieved and happy they are (laughs) to finish under the cutoff. Yeah, I saw that video. It's so inspiring. I mean, people just cheering her on, and she's pushing hard to make it under that cutoff. Her crew is encouraging her along. (laughs) Yeah. So cool. 
All right. We got all kinds of questions gathered up from our audience about running shoes. And Fred just knocks it out of the park. He is such a knowledgeable guy. Before we get into that, let's give some shout outs to folks in our community. This comes from James. He says, I had an awesome day running the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon, which was my first marathon. Big thank you to MTA coach Henry. He guided me and we worked through surprises to be race ready. He was critical to my success. So much fun and enjoyment in the journey to the finish line. I finished in 433.21. I like how we said they worked through surprises. There's always surprises. <laughs> there is. It's very true. This comes from Alicia. She says, the Hapalua half is in the books and I got a new personal best with my Beagle of sub two hours, 158.50. The heat and humidity was definitely intense and I thought a number of times I wasn't going to finish. I just kept repeating, I can do hard things. Thanks, MTA coach Abby. I did it. I appreciate your support and couldn't have done it without you. Ah, love it. Congrats on the PR. This comes from Steven. He says, I ran the do or die half marathon in Boonville, Missouri and used the MTA 145 half marathon training plan. I finished with a time of 145.07, which is a PR. And to my surprise, I finished first in my age group for the first time ever. Man, that's got to feel good. Yeah, sounds like he nailed it. It's do or die. (laughs) That's right. This comes from an Academy member named Karen Ann. She says, I'm officially a marathoner. I completed the beautiful Vermont City Marathon. It was hot, hilly, and I struggled with some intense nausea, but I couldn't get the smile off of my face. I met some wonderful, inspiring people and had the time of my life. I couldn't believe after all the training and anticipation, I was actually doing it. I just kept saying, I'm doing it. I'm running a marathon. Now the big question is, what's next? (laughs) (laughs) Love it. That's exactly what we want to hear for that first marathon. That's right. And this comes from Catherine. She says, I've been listening to your podcast for the last year while training for Comrades, the ultimate human race. I'm 51 years old, and 18 months ago, I could barely run 5K without collapsing. And since January of 2022, I have run three marathons, two 50Ks, and yesterday I finished Comrades. The entire last 30 kilometers, I chanted to myself, I can do hard things. Thanks for the inspiration, Angie and Trevor. Wow, that's so amazing to go from struggling to run 18 months ago to now finishing Comrades, which is like 56 miles, isn't it? Yeah, it's a distance of a little over 87 kilometers, which is approximately 54 miles, and it takes place in South Africa every year. And this comes from Kendra. She says, this past weekend, I ran the Broken Arrow Sky Race, which was 46 kilometers, a European-style race that starts at Palisade Ski Resort in Tahoe. From the valley floor at 6,200 feet, runners ascend nearly 5,300 feet. The course is characterized by vertical gain over a technical and physically demanding landscape, mostly above the tree line. I got to race day without having prepared and trained as well as I would have liked after the toughest six months of my life and finally making the decision to leave a toxic relationship after 10 years. At mile 17, the emotional turmoil got the best of me and I almost turned back. I sat on a log to rest and I started thinking of all the stories I've heard at the beginning of the MTA podcast and I started repeating to myself, I can do hard things. I finished the race in just over 11 hours, one hour before the cutoff. Thank you, Angie and Trevor, for sharing inspiring stories and giving us the amazing MTA community. Well, thank you for sending in that note, uh, Kendra, and congrats on conquering that really tough uh, 46k. I saw photos from that race. Um, one of our coaches, Athena, was there, 
And I think she described it as like the hardest race that she's done. Wow. I think like 70% of it was covered in snow. Beautiful place though, Lake Tahoe, California. Yes, congratulations. That's an amazing accomplishment. And I'm sure this is going to give her emotional and mental and physical strength to, you know, take on more challenges in life. Well, we are looking forward to the Richmond Marathon this year. It takes place November 11th in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, we had really had a lot of folks come out last year who listened to the podcast. This is getting more and more popular. It's so fun hanging out with all the runners after the race. Uh, there's this pub that we all go to. We'd love to have you join us this year at America's Friendliest Marathon. You can go register at richmondmarathon.org. That's right. 2023 will be the 46th running of the marathon. So they really have everything dialed in from great aid stations to wonderful swag afterward. The course is mostly flat with some rolling hills, travels through the scenic sections of Richmond. It's a great race for first timers and features a downhill finish right on the riverfront. That's right. My brother-in-law went with me last year, did the 8K, which was his first ever race. And uh, now he wants to go back and do the half. So yeah, love to see you there, richmondmarathon.org. Well, congrats to all of you out there just taking action in your health and fitness. Big thanks to everyone who sent in a question for this episode about all things running shoes. Of course, Angie and I love running shoes, but... What runner doesn't love running shoes? That's right. But we're not like shoe nerds. Man, I I can't even remember which model of Ons that I have. It's like the cloud something. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, Fred, as you're going to hear, lives and breathes this stuff Fred is the owner of Fleet Feet Mechanicsburg and Fleet Feet Harrisburg. He's a former collegiate runner, and he also qualified for the 2012 Olympic Marathon Trials and was part of the American 50K team that won the World Championship that year in Qatar. He's also won the Harrisburg Marathon, our local race, uh, twice, in fact, and he's won the Steamtown Marathon three times. So this was a fun episode to put together because we actually went to Fred's store um, with uh, Coach Nicole. Of course, our our wonderful head coach here at MTA, she and Fred actually live in the same neighborhood. So you can definitely hear that we're inside uh, sort of the back of the running store. So it's always fun to record something like this in person. And we had some great questions sent in by our listeners and newsletter subscribers. So we're going to talk about carbon plated shoes. Are they worth it? Minimalism, shoe rotation, inserts, wear patterns on your shoes, pronation, And we'll also talk about GPS watches and more. All right, we are at Fleet Feet Mechanicsburg with the store owner, Fred Jocelyn. Fred, you are just fresh off the Boston Marathon. How did it go this year? Uh, It went really well, yeah. I went in with a goal of running 245. And more importantly, I was trying to help uh, another local runner who wanted to run a PR. His PR was 245 and change coming in. So wow. he said, hey, why don't, we, why don't we run together? So we met up at the, the starting line. And being that I've run faster than that, I thought that I was going to be the one helping him. And of <laughs> course, when we started getting to the, you know, the latter stages in the hills, I think he was helping more. But we worked together. We ran really even. We had a four-second positive split, which... It's about That's as killer. good as you can you can ask yeah. for. So we came in in 244 high, which is right where we wanted to be. So I was really happy with it. How many times have you done Boston? Uh, so this was my sixth time. Okay. Uh, last time I ran was 2016. So we had a little bit of a break yeah. and it was, it was really exciting to be back. And I'm I'm already thinking I'd like to like to go back next year. That was a hot year because I was there that year. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those I, warm years. Yeah. I did not have a, a good race that year. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. Yeah, probably many people did. It was like surviving. <laughs> yeah. 
So I saw on Facebook that you posted that you've done 100,000 career miles. That's like four trips around the earth or something, right? Yep. How is that possible? 100,000 miles. One mile at a time, right? (laughs) You're still a young guy. Yep, I'm 39. Uh, So I started running pretty high mileage in, in college. And so for a long time, achieving some massive amount of miles was not the goal, not something I thought about at all. I was just training and that was just what worked for me. And I found that high mileage worked really well uh, just for my own personal training and getting myself as fast as I possibly could. And so in my 20s, when I was training in college for 5Ks and 10Ks and then afterwards training for the marathon, I gravitated towards 100 miles a week, sometimes more, 120, 140 at times. For those years, it really had nothing to do with seeing how many miles I could get in. That was just the method that I thought was going to make me the best runner possible. Um, But I will admit that at some point, probably in my mid-30s when I was slowing down a little bit, I did start thinking about some things like that. And I had heard of people hitting 100,000 miles and was intrigued by that. Mm. Uh, And I've always been fascinated or enjoyed taking accurate notes of my training. And so I've, uh, I've accurate calculation of all my mileage and so it was kind of fun as I started nearing this to to keep track see where I'm at and I how do you keep track uh like notebooks or is it online yeah so of course we have Strava now we have things like that 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 keep some record for us but when I started none of that existed and so I've had written notebooks dating back to when I was in middle school in the 90s uh, and that's where huh. where they started now I just wow. so I, I keep accurate track in a notebook and then at the end of the year I put it in an excel spreadsheet so my yearly mileage is just in this Excel spreadsheet that has all these numbers in it. Nice. And then, yeah. All those spreadsheet nerds out there are getting really happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we got all kinds of good shoe and gear questions uh, gathered up from people in our community. So let's talk about carbon plated shoes. I'm sure you've talked about it a lot with lots of customers. <laughs> Peter wants to know, for the average runner, are carbon plated shoes worth the cost? Yeah. So my, my simple answer is going to be yes, it's worth it. And uh, I would say the reason is that who doesn't want to be faster? So <laughs> if, if we believe that these shoes are, are faster, I'm going to say, you know, if I've got to narrow it down to a yes or no, I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes, everybody wants to be faster. But of course, it is a little bit more complex than that because these shoes are very expensive. Most of the carbon plated shoes are like two to three hundred dollars mm. uh, and, and people are on different budgets and people have different goals. And I will also say with almost any any time we're talking about what footwear makes the most sense, if a carbon plated shoe is not the most comfortable shoe, you might not have the best experience in that shoe, in which case yeah. I wouldn't say that every person should have a carbon plated shoe. I think every person should have a shoe that they enjoy and it's comfortable for them. Uh, but someone that's asking the question most likely is interested in being faster and therefore I would say like, hey, like why not splurge in an area that's gonna be something that's important to you? So to me, I would say it is, but obviously there's gonna be some personal Uh, things that have to come into this budget, goals, how comfortable the shoe is, things of that nature. Uh, But most research is saying that these shoes are faster. And Mm -hmm. so if this is faster and that's important. Even for middle of the pack or back of the pack runners. How much faster are you talking about? Like for a four hour marathon person? Yeah, so that is a good question. I actually read uh, recently that fast, they believe faster runners are getting more advantage than the middle of the pack runner. And part of the reason is their foot strikes are often uh, more efficient. Mm -hmm. And so having that really aggressive foot strike 
is creating more response from the shoe. Somebody's foot that is on the ground for a longer period of time loses some of that efficiency. So I know that stinks. It's like the faster runners don't need that advantage. Yeah. Why do they get so much? Uh, but those are just the, you know, the statistics that come out. And yeah. so, yes, that makes it a little bit trickier for somebody who's a four hour marathon or if we're saying that they're going to run one percent faster or less mm. is that worth it you know and, and again i i i think so you know mm-hmm. what if what if that's the difference between 359.50 and you know 401 or something like that like that's in my opinion enough that mm-hmm. hey like go go for it don't when it comes to boston it. qualifying every second counts these yeah. days really like an extra minute can really make a difference for as far as registering for the race yeah. I know someone who missed the cutoff by one second. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Painful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think it's worth it. Uh, but of course there are other factors. And, and, and like I said, I would still put a little bit more emphasis on, is the shoe comfortable for you? Because if you put the shoe on, and it doesn't feel right. You're probably not going to run faster just because your body isn't used to that shoe. But if you can find one that you like, that feels great. Yeah. Go for it. Hmm. Okay, and Kathleen wants to know, um, how much training is recommended with the carbon-plated shoes? I'm wondering if doing speed days and some long runs in carbon shoes would be advised to help best prepare for a race. Yeah, great question. So I think it's important that you do some training in the shoes that you're racing in, regardless of what what that is. But carbon-plated shoes probably is even more important because that shoe is more unique. And so our bodies do get more efficient with what we're practicing. So you want to be in the shoes that you're racing in. And every once in a while, I hear somebody say, I'm going to save the shoe just for race day. And I think that's a mistake because if your body doesn't get used to that shoe, not only are you risking injury because your body is going to be moving in a slightly different way, but you're also just not getting your muscles and your ligaments and the way that the shoe flexes adapted to your body so that you are going to be efficient in that shoe. So yes, I think you need to train in the shoe that you're going to wear. And of course, some people are like, well, if I'm going to spend $300 on a pair of shoes, I don't want to ruin it in training. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be your everyday shoe, but uh, I I think that's a a good way to go. Do your speed work in that shoe. I actually do a couple long runs in the shoe because if I'm going to run a marathon in the Mm -hmm. shoe, I've got to be able to do a 16 mile training run, right? right? So I would take that shoe, do a couple easy runs to start, then start using it for speed work. And if all of that goes smoothly, then a long run or two, and then I think you're probably in pretty good shape. How many miles are people mm-hmm. putting on these shoes safely? Yeah, good question. I, I have mostly seen people still putting like the three to 400 miles similar to what they might put on a regular training shoe. Uh, I think the very first carbon plated shoes had, they had a softer foam. And in some cases, not a lot of outsole, which I think they were doing to make them lighter. And we're seeing them wear a little bit more quickly. Mm. But now the the ones that are out right now seem to have found an outsole material that is robust, but also lightweight. And so now they seem to be lasting pretty well. I, I think we're seeing people get good mileage out of them. That's great. Yeah. All right, let's talk about minimalistic shoes. We had several questions come in about this. So what are your thoughts on ultras or other zero drop or low drop shoes and transitioning from regular shoes to zero drop? Yeah, so I I love minimal shoes, but I will say that 
I think that there's a range of what minimal is. I, I, I think a lot of people get caught up on one specific number, and we actually have people come into the store that sometimes say an exact number. They'll say, I need a five millimeter drop shoe or a three millimeter drop shoe. And I always think that that's a little bit misleading because there are a lot of factors that go into this. And while I, I would say I advocate for a little bit more of a minimal shoe for a lot of people because I think it does create a natural foot strike. It can prevent heel striking in some cases. But uh, it's, it's more complex than that. And one thing I often tell people just to, just to start thinking about this is as you wear a shoe, most people put more pressure under the forefoot than the heel. And therefore you wear the front of your shoe, or at least you compress the front of your shoe faster than the heel of your shoe. And mm. as you wear a shoe, your drop changes. And people oh. don't often think about that. So you take a shoe that might be a 10 millimeter drop after you've worn it for a month, it's probably gone to about a 12. Because most people, mm. as they're pushing off, the amount of force that goes through the forefoot is great enough to compress that portion of the shoe more. If you take an old pair of shoes, put, put your fingers in it, feel where the indentations are, under the ball of your foot is usually the greatest indentation and you've changed the drop of that shoe. So the only point with this is I think getting caught up on one exact number uh, can be a mistake and might be misleading. I would more look for a range that makes sense for you. And so if we're looking at like in the zero to four, zero to six, you know, or somebody is looking to transition out of a 12 millimeter drop shoe, maybe they're looking for something that's between six and 10, something that's kind of in that range. Uh, and that opens up a lot more products so that you can find something that makes sense for you. Uh, yes, I do think you need to transition slowly. As many, many people have found, if you lower the drop of the shoe that you're running in, you're probably gonna have some tight calves. You're gonna be using some muscles a little bit differently and that can create some issues or at least some, some soreness. So to not risk injury, I would make that transition uh, slowly, yeah. you know, and, and sort of ease your way into that. Go from hocus to barefoot. <laughs> for your next long run right yeah is that barefoot trend like done now do you think i wouldn't say that it's done but it's definitely faded a lot right and i think part of that is that we have more footwear options so if we can accomplish getting our foot into a natural position and still protecting it from the hard surfaces that we're running on it, mm -hmm. it's sort of the best of both worlds uh, but i i still hear people say that they do a little bit of barefoot running uh, and it, if it's going to help strengthen your feet, I, I'm, I'm not going to say mm -hmm. that that's a bad thing as long as we're doing it in a safe way, you know, in a volume that you, that person can handle and things like that. I know when I was coaching, um, assistant coaching cross country, we would have the runners after their workout or whatever, we'd have them take off their shoes and run in the grass yeah. for like 10 minutes barefoot running because yeah. it does really strengthen the feet. I, I think that's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I still think that that's a good, a good practice and that's, mm -hmm. you know, an amount that someone can handle and in an environment that's safe so I, I think that all around sounds good so i mentioned ultras what are the other big players right now in the minimalists like what other brands are cornering the market on the minimalism yeah yeah so you're seeing a lot of brands uh work their way down to it who weren't classically known as that i mean saucony actually lowered the drop of all of their shoes i don't know six or seven years ago they went from mostly 12 to kind of hovering in the four to eight range. Even Hoka, Hoka has four millimeter drop shoes almost across their line. Hmm. Uh, so I think you're starting to see more, more of the big brands take note of this. Uh, Brooks, which was really kind of set, you know, in that 10 to 12 range. Now you're starting to see some of their shoes come down as well. Some of their shoes that come out next year are going to have lower drops. Hmm. Um, and so I, I think you're starting to just see more people pay attention to that. 
you're, I, I think you're going to see a range, which I think is good, but we should have different options for different people, different needs. Um, and then, of course, you do have, you know, brands like Topo that are that are kind of playing with zero and, and, and you know, and, and looking at Ultra has clearly led, you know, that uh, arena in, in really being zero and sticking to it. Uh, the next question is about shoe rotation. And Sandy asks, is there a benefit to training in different types of shoes? Maybe switching it up on different days for, of the week or different types of run. For example, tempo versus long or something like that. And it's a good question for you, Fred, because you run so many miles. Yeah. How many pairs <laughs> of shoes do you rotate every week? Oh, a lot, yeah. <laughs> and part of that is, you know, being at a running shoe store, I have lots of shoes. I have access to a lot of shoes, so I'm at an unfair advantage here. but. I would say in my regular rotation, I probably have five or six pairs, five, five or six pairs that I would wear within one week. Uh, so that's more than what most people are going to realistically do. I just want to say that Angie also probably has that many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. It, you know, but I do think there are definite benefits to rotating. And one of them is if you're going to spend a lot of time in one thing, you are going to put yourself at risk of overuse. And so if you can change that even just a little bit, I think that that helps protect you. And one thing that's interesting as we we're coming off of talking about drops, I actually mm -hmm. like wearing shoes of different drops. I think mm -hmm. it's one of the ways that I can stress my feet and my legs a little bit differently. I, I do prefer a little bit lower uh, drop, just I, I like that feel. I really like how those shoes you know, interact with the ground. Mm -hmm. um, but I do wear uh, shoes that are different and I think that that protects you. Now, I, I think you still need to put the emphasis on something that fits your feet well, something that feels comfortable to you. So you can't force that. And one thing we see at the store that happens a lot is somebody will have, say, two or three shoes in rotation and they'll gravitate towards one. So they find one mm -hmm. that they love. And I'll tell them, well, wear that shoe the most. I think it's okay if you're wearing that shoe maybe three or four days a week mm -hmm. and then another shoe one day a week, something like that. Uh, but that still gives you just a little bit of, of a break. Um, I would try not to wear the same shoe three days in a row. I think two days in a row is okay. But if you're wearing it three days in a row, you're probably putting a lot of stress on the same shoe, especially mm. if you're doing some longer stuff. Mm. Um, and I think that there's some benefit uh, to rotating. And like you said, a, a lot of people like to have a specific shoe they're using for speed work or a different shoe for long runs. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can make sense if you're matching a shoe to what you're doing. So if you're doing your long run on a hard surface and you want a more cushioned shoe, yeah, mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. If you want to wear your carbon plated shoe, you know, that's going to be for a, a speed work, something you want to feel fast and snappy for that, of course, makes makes sense too. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just about what feels good that day. Like I'll, I'll just want a shoe that feels snappier one day and, mm -hmm. you know, I'll go towards something that I really like. So it's not about color coordination with your running outfit hey it can be yeah <laughs> you know more and more i think in this industry we've actually come to accept that that's important to people mm -hmm. and instead of trying to talk people out of it we almost look at it from the perspective of well why don't we try to find a shoe that's the color that you like that's also something mm -hmm. that you love and now shoes come in so many different colors it's like we we can accomplish both of those things it seems like the uh the shoes that fit me well they're always the ugliest ones available. <laughs> I'm just stuck with it. All right, let's talk about shoe size and uh, selection. This is a question from Crystal. How much larger should running shoes be than my regular size? I've heard that too much room is not good. Um, and she says for a period of time, no matter the distance, she was losing toenails and was told that her shoes were too large. Yikes. 
So sometimes losing toenails can be more than just the size. A lot of times it can be that the fit is a little bit off. And in some cases it can be just from the, the impact of the ground. So some people are losing toenails not only because of the, the size. So when we're in the store fitting somebody, what we do is we take their measurement, we take the larger foot, round that up to the nearest half size, and then add a half size. So for example, oh, okay. let's say someone's two feet measure 8.2 and 8.4. Mm -hmm. 8.4 is the longer one. We round that up to 8.5, and then we add a half size to get us to nine. nine. Mm -hmm. Now, the truth is, not all the shoes are perfect. And so we do find ourselves adjusting. So we're back here saying, okay, this shoe runs a little bit short, so we got to maneuver from there. Uh, and so it's not always that that uh, formula is gonna be perfect, but that usually gets us pretty close to where we wanna be. Uh, and then the other, the other thing that I would say is somebody that's trying on a pair of shoes, just to give yourself some like rule of thumb, you shouldn't be touching the end of the shoe. So that seems yep. obvious, but I see it all the time where someone's toes are literally touching the end of the shoe. That shoe is probably too short. But also if your foot is moving within the shoe, that shoe is probably too big. Uh, but sometimes it's not just the length, it could be the width, it could also be the depth. Uh, that's something that we're paying more and more uh, close attention to. People have a higher or low instep, and that can really impact what shoes fit them best. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the things we look at with our three-dimensional images to make sure that people have shoes that match their feet. Can it make a difference to how they um, tie and lace their shoes too? Like with that heel lock maybe would help? Yeah, definitely. So I think you can customize the fit with how you lace it, but what I would be cautious of is sometimes people are trying to force it. They really want a shoe to fit that doesn't fit, and mm -hmm. so they're trying, they're, you know, they're trying to make it work. And it, sometimes a slight adjustment can kind of lock you in or get something to fit a little bit better, nothing wrong with that. But if you find yourself having to pull the laces, you know, completely taut or really change how they're laced, that it, it might be a sign that the shoe's just not fitting quite right. Mm-hmm. And you guys do 3D images? Yeah, so when somebody comes in, we take a scan of their feet, and the scan is really uh, a, a whole bunch of different pictures of their feet that we build a three-dimensional image, and then wow. we use that to make sure that the shoes we're pulling are as close to their foot shape as possible. Wow, so is that what a lot of running stores are doing now? I remember when I started running back then, it was get on the treadmill and have you run and watch you on the treadmill, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, so the classic gait analysis hasn't gone away. Uh, but what we've realized is there used to be too much emphasis on only how your foot is moving and not the fit of the shoe on your feet. And so the problem with that was you could have a shoe that is the right stability, the right arch type for your foot, but it might not might not fit. It might be you know way too wide. It might be, and and we weren't focusing on those things. And we've realized that we really need to focus on fit. And that's not de-emphasizing uh, stability in the, in the gait analysis component of it. It's just saying that if we have a, a shoe that fits around your foot, you're much more likely to be comfortable in that shoe and we wanna pay close attention to it. Nice. Hey, quick break to thank our sponsors, Ola Dance. As a runner, not only do you need to accessorize with your shoes, but you need some good earbuds so you can listen to podcasts and music, audiobooks and so forth when you're out there on a run. And doing this for so many years, we've we've gone through a lot of earbuds. Thankfully, we have Ola Dance now. Angie is a raving fan because she listens to like three, four hours of audiobooks a day. I wouldn't say that's my average, maybe some days if I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and for people like me who often listen to a lot of audio in a day, it's really important that you find something that's comfortable and stays securely on your ears 
And I love the fact that these don't enter the ears, so there's no ear fatigue, ear itchiness if you have like ears that sweat like mine do. And I've done strength training, running, yoga in these, and they stay nice and firm on my ears. They have great sound. Like if I go back to my old earbuds and try to use them, the old ones just sound really tinny and don't have that superior sound that the Ola Dance do. So go to oladance.com. Use the code MTA20 to save 20%, oladance.com. Big thanks to our sponsor, You Can. I know it's tricky to figure out what to eat on the run. The problem is it's hard to digest food and run at the same time. That's why we're so happy that we found You Can years ago. We've used it at dozens and dozens of races. You should definitely give it a try if you haven't. You can actually get six Edge Gels for free. Just pay for shipping. Go to youcan.co slash MTA. It's so awesome to see the growth and popularity of UCAN. Like Trevor said, we started using it 10 years ago. So as just your average runner, we've found it to be so beneficial. But many top marathon runners in the United States, like Emily Sisson, Kira D'Amato, Sarah Hall, and Emma Bates, all rely on UCAN to fuel their training and races. So you're going to have a great experience if you're wanting something that keeps your energy levels stable. So once again, get a free sample pack of six edge gels. Just pay shipping. Head over to youcan.co slash MTA. If you're already a customer, of course, you can use our code and save 20% on your reorder. That's code MTA, youcan.co slash MTA. Okay, well, the next question is about inserts. This question is from Aldolfo. He says, every time I buy new shoes, inserts are being pushed on me. I never purchased them because I've been running for decades and never needed them. I believe the arch of the foot is one of God's marvels of engineering. So unless you have an issue with it, you shouldn't be messing with it. What is your position on insoles? Yeah, you know, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think that it does depend on the person. I do think there are some people out there that need that assistance, just like somebody who, you know, someone needs crutches to get through an injury. Somebody might need an insert to help their foot stay in the right posture. Mm -hmm. Somebody else, however, might have a really strong arch and they might just feel more comfortable without it. And I would not force that person to wear an insert. So generally what we do is we look at the feet make a recommendation of inserts that we think might help that person. But if somebody says that that is less comfortable, I would never push that product on a person. And there's actually research that shows if a product feels more comfortable on your feet, it is more likely to be successful in terms of injury down the road. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's often the evidence that we're looking for. Does this feel more comfortable? So if the shoe feels more comfortable without the insert, I typically would not recommend it to to that customer. And so I think that's the the correct approach. Mm -hmm. So one thing that's interesting is I really like how inserts feel when I'm standing on my feet, when I'm working, when I'm moving around. But when I'm running, I often prefer not wearing an insert. Mm -hmm. So I'm wearing an insert sometimes and I'm often running without one. And so I'll tell customers that like, hey, this product might give you a better experience running, but if it doesn't, the purpose is not to make you less comfortable and you know make you enjoy your run less so it really i think is about the person but if it sounds to me like this person is more comfortable without the insert so i, I wouldn't do it i mean don't you want to be comfortable out there i think that's the the evidence that i would go for right is are they mostly providing stability would you say like i have custom inserts so that's yeah. why i know i have to wear them otherwise i usually get injured because yeah. just the way my feet are hmm. um but the, the ones over the counter are you mostly providing stability or what are you providing so stability is a component to it the other factor is just like we're trying to match the shoes to the shape of the foot 
oftentimes we're trying to match the shape of the arch to the insert. Mm -hmm. So if you fill more of that space, you have more of the foot touching the bottom of the shoe, the insert that's in between the shoe and, and your foot. Mm -hmm. And so that's allowing the, the distribution of pressure more even across the whole foot, which for most people feels more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so if you can fill that shape and just put the pressure even across the entire foot, most people are gonna find that feels great. Uh, but not always. And so that's where there is a little bit of a personal, you know, side of that. All right. So now we have a question on buying shoes at a warehouse or discounted shoes. This comes from Kelsey. She says, running shoes are so darn expensive and I'm always looking for a deal and I tend to buy my running shoes at outlet stores. However, someone once told me that the shoes that they sell there uh, sit for long periods of time and the foam goes bad. So is this true or just an urban legend? So I think the truth is that like any item, uh, over time things do deteriorate a little bit. And so one thing that can happen with the midsole of a shoe is that it can dry and it becomes a little bit firmer. So it doesn't have quite as much cushion and support as it did when it was brand new. But what is the lifespan of a shoe? I don't think we're talking, if somebody has a pair of shoes that they bought that was on the shelf at a store for six months to a year, that shoe is probably just as good as when it was new or, or really, really close. But if you're buying a shoe that could have been somewhere for five years, yeah, I, th I think that's a little bit different. Uh, and I have experimented with this. I have a collection of shoes I've had forever and I've pulled out shoes from my basement that I saved because I'm like, I never want to get rid of these shoes. I love them so much. Mm. And I put them on, I'm like, wow, they don't, they don't feel the same. And so I do think that over enough time, a shoe probably loses some of its quality. Uh, but if we're talking the new model came out and the old one is is a little bit discounted, I don't think you're going to have a, a lack of quality in in that shoe at that at that point. So what's the deal with running companies always changing your favorite shoe? Like, yeah, <laughs> messing with the model. It's right. like everyone's got the shoe, their go-to shoe. They've been buying it for years, and then they freaking discontinue it. Yeah, I I know it's frustrating, uh, but the truth is the companies are trying to make the shoes better. So if we think back. 40 years ago, and we looked at those shoes and we say, hey, somebody liked this shoe. Somebody didn't want that shoe to change, but would that be a great shoe now? I think most people would look at it and be like, no way, that mm -hmm. shoe looks terrible. <laughs> and so while the truth is, the change from this model to the next is slight, and for some people it's gonna be worse. It's not gonna be as good as, as what they previously liked. Over time, shoes are getting better, and so I think that evolution is, is necessary and a positive thing. But you're right, if you find a shoe that you absolutely love and they change it a little bit, maybe you're gonna, you're gonna need to find something else. But I, I always encourage people, if the update to the shoe that you love isn't as good or it, it, you know is less attractive to you, maybe there's something you like even more than that original one and let's go find that. Mm -hmm. Back to the, the shelf life of shoes, I was thinking maybe they should mark them like they mark milk at the grocery store, yeah. like best before date <laughs> on yeah. the box so that you know when these shoes were made and how long they, they're going to last. Yeah, that, that's a great tip. All right, let's talk about wear patterns on shoes. This is from Pam. She says, I have ons and they are worn out on the outer soles. What does that mean? And I'm assuming that these are not the right running shoes for me. So the, the truth is most people strike on the outside part of their heel or at least the outside part of their foot when their foot hits the ground. So that is true for most people regardless of what your gait does beyond that. Mm -hmm. So just because you, you land and you wear the outside of your shoe does not mean it's the wrong shoe for you. In, in fact, almost everyone is doing that. 
So I don't think that that's an indication that it's the, the wrong shoe. It, it also doesn't mean that it's the right shoe. It, it might not be, but uh, that is just the normal mechanics of the human body. Uh, occasionally somebody does strike on the inside or maybe right in the middle, but landing on the outside is actually most common and that is just the way that our body moves. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be afraid of that. I think a better indication of whether the shoe might need to be adjusted is look at the front of your shoe. If you're wearing one side of the front of the shoe, the inside or the outside, significantly more than the other, that's probably a better indication that you might want to uh, re reassess where that's coming from. Uh, but to strike down the outside part of the heel, that's where most people strike and I, I don't necessarily think that that's, that's a bad thing. What if someone buys shoes and they're running in them and they just aren't working out? I know that you have a guarantee here at Fleet Feet, but do most running stores have that where you can return them if you're not happy? It really depends on the company. Yeah, so we have a 60-day uh, guarantee. So if there's anything wrong, even if you've run in the shoes, mm -hmm. uh, you, wow. you, you can bring yeah. them back. And, and that's what is unusual. Most running stores will allow you to bring something back that hasn't been used. We actually allow you to bring it back uh, for any reason, how much it's used within the first 60 days. because. We have a thorough process, we trust that process, and we know that sometimes something could still go wrong. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want somebody to be running in a shoe that's gonna get them injured, that's not gonna help our sport, that's not gonna keep them coming back. And so mm -hmm. yeah. we allow them to come back in, reassess, figure out what we need to do, and then and then maneuver from there. And that's the advantage of going to a store rather than ordering online. Yeah. It's definitely. Definitely a big benefit, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was curious, so the wear pattern on the front of the shoe, yeah. Is, a, is a better indication that the shoes are worn out or that maybe your foot strike is off, your, your form is off, not looking at the heel, you're saying. Yeah, because as your foot is rolling forward, if somebody is pronating, they're more likely to wear the inside of the shoe. If somebody is supinating, they're gonna roll to the outside and they're gonna roll, wear more of the outside of the front of the shoe. If we're keeping that foot where it should be, hopefully the entire front of the shoe is wearing kind of evenly. And so you're mm. pushing off more of the middle of your foot as you toe off. And so mm -hmm. that's ideal. And, and the truth is some people who have, you know, severe pronation, they may still have somewhere on the inside, no matter what shoes they're in, but we want to get them into something as healthy as we possibly can to, you know, to reduce the likelihood of injuries. Because if they're pushing off that far on the inside, the problem is it means that their knee is probably twisting to get their foot into that position. And we want to keep those things in alignment so that we're not overstressing one area yeah awesome let's talk about other gear here we've got um, some questions about GPS watches uh, Hannah says I would be interested to hear a comparison of watches regarding battery life and uh, which typically lasts the longest and also is there comparative information about heart rate accuracy yeah yeah fun question so I've actually been wearing a Coros watch um, which I have really enjoyed yeah. Garmin of course is the biggest you know name in that market mm -hmm. so one thing that I have found interesting over the last two three years is that as the technology has gotten really really advanced and what some of these watches can do some of the battery life has actually decreased hmm. because mm -hmm. our watches can you know pay for our meals they can map us they <laughs> right. can we can store music on them spy on us yeah, spy on us we can make phone calls and so there's so much technology in the watch that takes up some of that battery life that it actually lasts less so 
Now, some of those things are really important. So if somebody comes in, they're like, hey, I want to be able to listen to music and be able to safely map myself back when I get lost on the trails, then great. Like, mm -hmm. let's get a watch that can take care of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, but with the question of, of battery life, that was actually one of the reasons I personally went to a Coros is that most of the Coros watches are a little bit simpler than Garmin. And mm -hmm. so it means that their battery is being used for running, for GPS. And I don't have any other fancy things on my watch. I, I, I've been using the Pace 2 because I, I kind of like that it's a little bit simpler, mm -hmm. it's a little bit lighter, and it's got a really long battery life. They also have uh, a couple models that have even longer battery life. And I, and I think we are going to see those battery life start to extend again. Uh, but some of the watches now are back down to like six to eight hours of GPS time. Mm. And so people are having a hard time getting through a marathon, right. you know, on one, on one charge. And so... Mm. For me, I would rather not have the music and the Apple Pay and whatever other funny mm -hmm. things are on their watch and make sure that I've got battery to, to go for a long time. So. Yeah, I have the Apex 2 yeah. from Chorus, and I know I had the other Apex when I ran the 12-hour Ultra with that yep. Fred was uh, organizing, and I ran for 11 hours, and I think I used maybe 25 or 30% of my wow. battery. yeah. And I was listening to music. Now it wasn't coming through the phone, but it was tracking my heart rate the whole time. And it was, you know, you can't beat it. It's if you're gonna do an ultra race, if you're training for a marathon, if you're doing long runs, cause you never wanna ha have your watch on and then realize it's low battery. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And I, I think the Apex honestly is one of the, if you're looking for battery life is one of the best options that you're gonna find. So have you found any kind of difference in accuracy as far as like heart rate monitoring and stuff? and? Uh, between the watches so the part two of her question is there comparative information about heart rate accuracy yeah so i don't have any concrete data on that but from my personal experiences Coros and garmin are both very good and the last time i had tested some of the other brands i found that they weren't quite as strong in terms of heart rate uh, now i have a really small wrist and i know a lot of people run into the same issue my, my wrist often has a hard time getting heart rate from any of the watches hmm. my so with my pace two my heart rate's usually correct but sometimes i'll be looking at my data and i'll have like three miles of a zero heart rate and i'm like huh that was funny i must have <laughs> must have had a really rough stretch here uh, so so they're yeah. they're not perfect yet uh, but if somebody really wants to do heart rate they probably mm -hmm. want to get a chest strap which is going to make sure that you get some accurate data and they're really easy to pair with the watch yeah like i pair mine with my chorus no problem yeah. any thoughts on running with an apple watch so I, I i haven't personally run with an apple watch but people in our groups who have used apple watches they they do seem to be a little bit less accurate good enough that you could do your training with it i don't i don't I don't say that it's a bad watch, uh, but oftentimes we'll have a group of people finish and nine people that are using other watches <laughs> will be within like a tenth of a mile for a 10 mile run. The Apple watch might be four or five tenths off, which seems mm -hmm. seems to be a little bit of an outlier. So yeah. I think they're getting close, but not quite there yet. Hey, quick break to thank our episode sponsor, AG1. The mission of AG1 is to empower people to take ownership of their health with a simple daily foundational nutritional habit. And when we say daily, Angie, you literally drink AG1 every day. I take it literally. <laughs> <laughs> literally, <Yes>. not metaphorically. <laughs> literally, uh, AG1 has been a big part of my morning routine for several years now. I just mix one scoop with water, shake it up in the handy shaker bottle that comes with your first order. 
and drink it first thing in the morning. It's a great boost to my energy and know that I am filling in any nutritional gaps. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and you can get a free one-year supply of the vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com MTA. That's drinkag1.com MTA. So final question is from Shelby. I'll let Nicole read this. Yeah, she says, um, any tips for hydration belts? I'm running the New York City Marathon this year and they don't allow hydration vests, so I need an alternative to bring with me to the race. I bought a hydration belt, but it won't stay on my hips. It bounces up at my torso. Any tips on how to get a belt to stay put? Yeah, so my recommendation would be to use a, a flip belt. So they hug your body all the way around. So they have sort of this even uh, compression around your waist so that there's not a gap. That's usually what creates that bouncing. And they have bottles that can slide right in the slots. So the bottle is also kind of hugged against your body. And so they stay in place pretty well. I've had pretty good success with that. I've, I've used that in an ultra before mm -hmm. um, where I've, I've wanted to carry some water but didn't want to have something that was kind of bouncing around. Well, this has been great, Fred. Let's uh, conclude with this. Like, What's the status, do you think, of the running store industry? Um, you guys opened a new location here recently. So like, how, how big is Flea Feet and how, how are things going? Yeah, yeah. So the industry has actually been really strong the last couple of years. I think there was a stretch where there was this fear that online would just like take us all out. Yeah. Uh, but one of the advantages we have is that we interact with our customers and our community in a very authentic way. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And so we've really been able to expand based on being at a race being able to run side by side with a person. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, someone can come in, ask us questions, and I think that that has helped this industry. And so Fleet Feet stores are doing well the last couple of years. They've expanded. Fleet Feet's up to 250 stores. So wow. Fleet Feet stores are, are, mm -hmm. are franchise. So Shelby and I own uh, our two stores here in Harrisburg and Mechanicsburg. And so we've seen growth and we've been, we've been really happy with that. And we're just doing what we love. I mean, we have yeah. a passion for that. And I think people recognize that. And I think mm -hmm. there's a big difference between, you know, stores that are out there next to your customers because you love it mm -hmm. and stores that are just operating a business. And so I, I think the stores that are interacting with their communities are, are, are doing well and they should. So it seems like the strength of a local specialty running store is the tribe, the community building aspect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You guys are doing group runs and mm -hmm. events and you're out there in the public. and Yeah, 100%. I think that's a big cornerstone of what we're doing. Uh, I would say our community interaction is a huge piece of it. And then just our customer service in the store. Awesome. Hey, and if you're in this area or ever passing through central Pennsylvania, we are really close to the capital, Harrisburg. Now a Harrisburg location and a Mechanicsburg location. Drop on in the store, tell them that you heard Fred on MTA podcast. Well, Fred, thanks for sharing your knowledge with us and congrats on your epic run at Boston. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks so much. This was great to talk to you both today. All right, Trevor and Angie here back on the mic. Thanks to Fred for hosting us there at Fleet Feet and answering all the questions sent in by our listeners. 
We wish we had time to get to all the questions. We'll definitely be back and talk to Fred again because shoes are always changing. And the thing is, your feet also change over time. So what worked for you a year ago may not work for you right now. So it's really interesting how your personal need in what you want in a shoe changes. And sometimes your favorite model gets changed in a certain way that is not great for you. So then you have to go back to the drawing board. So finding the right lineup of shoes for your running needs is really something important to dial in. A lot of stuff to dial in when it comes to training for a marathon. And that's what we're here to help you with. We've got awesome coaches on our team who've done what you want to do. Reach out. We've got a contact form on our website. You can talk to Coach Nicole, actually, uh, personally. Hop on the phone with her. See how coaching can help you. Take the guesswork out and really train for that goal that you have on your heart. MarathonTrainingAcademy.com to learn more. Thank you so much for being a listener to the podcast. It's great to be on this running journey with you. And of course, like we always say, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way, right on my way.